This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. All right, folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 253 tonight. Uh, we are joined by Sanjana Singh, who is uh, returning. Uh, we had her on, I think, like a month, month and a half ago. So check out that episode as well. Uh, super interesting. We discussed uh, consciousness, AI, philosophy, psychedelics. It was a really great episode, so go check that out. Um, also, you can check out our podcast, The Naked Dialogue, um, wherever podcasts are found, Apple, Spotify. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter. I have all of her links down below. Uh, so if you want to go check her, all, all, all her stuff, go do that, please. And uh, she's got amazing guests. I, I really like what she does over there. So please go check her out. Um, and I'm not going to go through the whole spiel for our stuff, but if you're interested and you want to support the show, uh, Below is the Linktree link. Um, we've got a Patreon, which I'll be doing a Patreon um, segment with uh, Sanjana tonight. Uh, and I will upload that probably sometime later tomorrow. Uh, and let's see here. Also, we've got a merch store. All the designs in the merch store I created myself. Um, and uh, yeah, and if you want to support the show, uh, the best way to do that is just to go to I or, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, and leave a nice five-star review. We really appreciate that. So, uh, But uh, without further ado, welcome back on the show, Sanjana. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Um, so let's see here. So since we had you on last, uh, you have now contributed a little piece for our documentary, which is going to be super interesting. And uh, uh, I like your take on things uh, in regards to that. Um, but I thought tonight we would discuss a few different things, maybe a little bit of philosophy of mind, maybe a little, uh, metaphysics, a little AI, you know, maybe even a little UAP UFO stuff. Um, so, but I wanted to get started here with, um, what's your take lately? Cause I know, you know, we all kind of evolve our philosophies and ideas. How do you think about consciousness? Do you think it, um, 
do you think it is a product of you know biological um processes like you know just in the brain or possibly um you know the gut as well or do you think that maybe there's something even weirder going on i think there's something even weirder going on um because here's what happens right we have the we have matter and then we have the mind um and you know when it comes to philosophy of mind which is essentially the study of mind matter and consciousness uh, you know, I think it started with Descartes back in 17th century, um, and uh, it has roots in neurology and neuroscience. So that's where the biological aspect of it comes in. Um, and, you know, it's very much relevant in the 20th century because neurology and neuroscience is something that we have been working on now. Um, and, you know, it's more related to logic, hence mind, than biology. Um, and it's also related to physics to some extent, like, uh, and physics to uh, physics because it, you know, kind of coincides with matter. So when it comes to matter, you can consider physics. When it comes to mind, you can consider some of biology um, and also some of philosophy. Um, you know, there's um, this other thing, which is that people often uh, talk about consciousness in, in relation to sentience and other buzzwords, I could say. Um, and, you know, you can call consciousness sentience. I mean, sentience is what? Sentience is being um, alive, I guess, in a very, very dumbed down way. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the one aspect of consciousness that we mostly focus on is qualia, which is our own subjective experience. And that is the mystery of consciousness. We still don't know what this qualia is. And that's where the hard problem of consciousness comes in. Um, and you can say that uh, this uh, qualia has two aspects to it. The first one is sensibility, um, and the second one is emotivity. So sen sensitivity or sensibility is, of course, your five senses, right? Um, and emotivity is more of all of your emotions or the affective mechanisms. Um, when it comes to philosophy in relation to qualia, um, you can say that... Um, Schopenhauer uh, and Nietzsche both had this concept of the will as a primary, you know, as a primary emotion of desire. Um, that is the desire to live when it comes to Schopenhauer. So, you know, just taking all of this together, one can say that when it comes to consciousness, we do know that consciousness is uh, an aspect of uh, our mind and body, uh, but we also have no idea as to why do we have um, this experience of qualia. So again, consciousness can be, you know, related to physics, uh, biology, logic, and uh, when it comes to qualia, it's that hard problem of consciousness which scientists and philosophers and psychologists, basically anyone from any field from cognitive science, is trying to understand. Yeah, that's no, very interesting. Um... And last night we, you know, I was doing an episode with somebody else, this guy, uh, Dan Freeman, and we were talking and I was describing, um, we had somebody on, um, Rob Gentile who had two traditional near death experiences, um, and he needed a heart transplant. Um, so the, the woman who, or the girl whose heart he got, uh, had committed suicide, but afterwards he had some weird cravings for like skittles and like different things that he just was never into before but he had weird cravings for these things and he would meet her family later and find out that those were some of her favorite things so like what does that mean does the heart carry 
some sort of memory or consciousness or something like that, you know, because we think of consciousness, again, we think of the brain or, you know, we think of, um, you know, there is connections, obviously, most of our serotonins, can, uh, um, you know, stored in our gut, I think up to like 80%, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, you know, that's interesting, but I just, things like that make me wonder, um, what is the, is that just memory or is there something conscious even about like our organs and our different body parts and things like that? That's a good question. I feel like, so consciousness is of course related to the mind, of course, but then, you know, dualists would say that it's both mind and matter at the same time. So, you know, you can say that if that's the case, if organs are conscious, you know, organs are basically related to consciousness, then one could hypothesize that basically um, the aspect of the aspect of organs uh, is a product or byproduct of both mind and matter. So yes, uh, you know, there's biological things going on with um, organs, mostly biological things, but one could say that it is mind which is driving the body to control uh, or kind of like inspect in, inspect or go into a deep inquiry about these organs yeah that's interesting um also um the other thing i think about too so like you know there's the the woo theory which is that and i don't even think it's that woo but i guess compared to like mainstream academia the idea that consciousness is non-local and that maybe it's where our brains act as some sort of receiver um and tune into some sort of frequency or vibrations and um you know maybe the the biological structures color our experience so that what's that's what makes us original right but that we're getting some sort of stream of that consciousness from somewhere else um do you think that that's a realistic possibility or do you think that we should kind of look to other places so do you mean that the colors are something that is connected with qualia or no, no, like coloring or experience, meaning that like, okay, so I'm a rich or, or I'm distinctly different from you. Um, not just on a, you know, yeah, we, we, we're biologically different, but my, my mind is colored by my actual physical being in the sense that like, okay, so we're receiving consciousness, but the structures of, of the way that our, brains and bodies work makes us unique to one another does that make sense yes yeah so i guess what i'm asking is do you think that that's a realistic approach that maybe you know we're getting this consciousness it's non-local and that we're just the way we perceived as different from one another is because of these differences in biology from person to person or do you think that possibly um, like I said, I mean, even something different that I didn't even think about maybe that you're, you're pondering lately. Okay. So when it comes to consciousness, um, you know, there's two kinds of consciousness, which is, I think, um, something that Ned Block kind of came up with. The first one is access consciousness. And the second one is phenomenal consciousness. Um, and, and you can kind of like observe them on a day. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So access consciousness is here. Phenomenal consciousness is here. So what is access consciousness? It's basically some sort of a strict awareness or full focus. So again, you know, related to your vision, related to your five sensibilities. Um, and then there's a phenomenal consciousness, which is this phenomenological experience that you're having as a whole. Um, and this particular phenomenal consciousness is somehow also rooted in your subconscious from a psychological viewpoint. Um, and there was this philosopher called Leibniz uh, who came up with this. Um, I think it was 18th century, something like that. So, you know, uh, I think it, I think your question, the answer to your question could be that either both the axis and the phenomenal consciousness is in play or maybe only phenomenal consciousness is there because of the uh, sensibility aspect of it. Does that make any sense? Yeah. And you mentioned Leibniz, and um, he had the law of indiscernibles, which was for two things to be exactly the same, they had to be exactly the same across the board, meaning that, like, we look at matter and mind and they're, they're very, they're two very different experiences, right? Like mind is very different than matter. So he postulated that those two things are, are distinctly different. Um, and you could say, Oh, well that's duality. And we know now, and there's some philosophers that would point to, well, it was just a linguistics thing um, in terms of mind. And now they make the correlation that mind is strictly a byproduct of biological function um, but I think that there's something there because I do think that experience and the phenomenological study of this is very different than like the um, trying to like look at like a brain scan or an fMRI and trying to understand what's going on. You, I don't know if they'll ever be able to look at a brain scan and tell somebody what they're thinking or what what were they just picturing. You know, like I don't I know they came up with some tests recently where they're able to like um, kind of view the processes of what's going on but yeah I, I just I'm in the camp that I don't think that we'll ever get to that point just like I personally don't think we'll ever be able to make AI sentient in the way that we're sentient through billions of years of biological evolution so so when it comes to fMRI right like I was so back in 2018 um, I contacted Dr. Rick Strassman about this phenomena called uh, hypnagogia which is basically when you, you know, this window between wakefulness and sleep. Uh, and within hypnagogia, you tend to like, um, so of course your eyes are closed and you're basically seeing all of these geometry patterns. You're seeing um, Tetris effects. So Tetris effects basically images flashing from your short-term memory and long-term memory. Um, and then the most interesting part, maybe I've already mentioned is, is, is geometry, right? Um, so what I did was I went to Reddit and like, Basically, all of the social media where people can people are talking about hypnagogic experiences, 
And what I noticed was that the geometric aspect was same. So, you know, you can say that this uh, objective symbol is kind of same across this, you know, subjective uh, subjectivity of mine. Um, so one of the things I thought I could do personally is that um, get uh, at least few subjects. So something like um, 20, 25 subjects. I know this is it's a small you know, it's a small scale, but you know these twenty uh, subjects need to have uh, an experience of hypnagogia um, regularly. So then I put them into fMRI machines and I see exactly what kind of brain. Um, how the brain is respond, responding to this geometrical hallucination or basically just only hypnagogia. So, you know, we can do something like this, which is that we can try to understand um, both subjectivity and objectivity by doing experiments like this. I'm not sure whether we would be able to ever have, um, you know, detection of what, what you were saying. Um, but I think uh, with the advancements in technology, right, like you also mentioned sentient AI. We don't know if that's ever going to happen, uh, but at the same time, we cannot deny it's never going to happen. So I think the same thing goes for the brain scans and stuff like that. Yeah, that's interesting. There was a Duke um, fMRI study where they had people come in and they recorded them doing specific tasks and functions um, and recorded them, and then they had them come back and perform those same functions a couple weeks later. And the thing that they found was these people were not using the same parts of their brain to complete those functions that they did the first time. In fact, most of them were different, uh, which I find very interesting because, you know, there's this idea of the way the brain works and specific, um, you know, lobes and glands and different things produce different effects or um, they control certain aspects. And I'm sure that's true for some things, but... Um, yeah, I think that just shows like how little we actually do know about the brain and mapping the brain and things like that. So, um, but do you um, think it's because of time? Do you think it's because of time? Uh, time in what sense? Like the physical time space or our perception of time? Physical time space. So you said something like there. So a subject goes um, and exp and does a particular t uh, test comes back a few days after he goes again and mm -hmm. the data is different right, right? so is is time for, like time tied up to all of this somehow that's a good point um yeah i mean i didn't think about that i think that that's definitely a possibility um and i you know look we're always evolving our, our ideas and our pictures of you know reality and what's going on and science is always evolving and um i don't know it's just it's it's such a difficult thing because I don't even know where to start with all of that, you know, um, and I I don't think the you have to balance everything out there. I, I hate to even think about it, but like I've even entertained the idea of illusionism, which nobody knows what that is. It's the idea that we don't even have consciousness. This is all just like some sort of hallucination uh, experience uh, through our biochemistry and uh, mind and everything. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that I don't believe in that, by the way. But, I, I again, I think you do um, you do have to balance it out when you ponder these things. I, I, don't, I hate going, like, one direction, like going full woo or full academic or whatever. I like sitting somewhere in the middle, taking everything in and, uh, 
you know, there's some interesting, you know, I say woo, but maybe more like fringe or metaphysics style um, philosophy and science and stuff like that. Uh, and then you have the hardcore, you know, you're a Neil Seth and those guys who are saying, you know, we're looking at the actual physical processes and mechanisms and we're hallucinating and it's based on this, this and this. So I, th I look at everything, but I will say that given our, um, our tendency as humans, I think is to not want to be wrong. So I think that you do get a little bit more, uh, scientism of late than, you know, you maybe you wouldn't have gotten, you know, 50 years ago, 40 years ago. So, uh, but it's an interesting topic nonetheless. Um, and I guess I think so. You touched upon a really good point, um, which is that is reality a hallucination, right? Like I think uh, one of the famous uh, TED talks of Anil said is that reality is a hallucination. So for Anil said, um, reality is a hallucination. For Yoshabak, it's a dream world, you know. But it's the same thing, um, basically, and and it has roots in um, philosophy. So uh, Sartre talked about this, um, you know that what you know how an object uh, appears to be versus how an object really is and this is something that even hegel and german idealist philosophers were talking about so um maybe i'm looking at this phone right and this phone is materialistic it has uh, you know you can touch it you can feel it um but something within my vision is so unique that i'm able to see this right maybe this is just matter made of all sorts of atoms that I'm not able to see. So that means that everything around me right now um, could be a hallucination, could be a dream world, and that I do not have access to the actual external physical environment, something that you were mentioning before. Um, and, you know, there's a good literature, I would say, from philosophy, even Anil State's new book called Being You, um, you know, that has substantial data kind of like pointing towards this possibility that you know, we have no access to what physical reality is. And hence, you know, every qualia is kind of just perceiving, you know, what, I don't know if whether it's a qualia, I mean, it is qualia, but I don't know exactly how we all have distinct quali qualia experience, but at the same time, we're seeing the same thing. Hmm. Yeah. 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 And you could throw even Donald Hoffman's book, you know, The Case Against Reality in there, which is the idea that, you know, we've evolved our senses to survive. So like there's a lot of other things going on, but we're just our pattern recognition or our pareidolia or evolutionary pareidolia is keeping us inside of this realm of existence where we think we're noticing and seeing everything, but we're really not. And we probably can't. So, um, yeah, no, very interesting stuff. Um, I mean, where do you stand on that whole, like, where, what do you, I mean, I, obviously, like I said, I know my philosophies change daily actually, but, um, where do you currently stand on, uh, that topic? Do you think that, um, do you think that we're missing out on things? Like there's some sort of veil between what we can see and perceive and there's things beyond that. And maybe that's some of the weirder things that you know the mystery based things whether it be ghosts or ufos or uap or psychedelic entities or whatever do you think that there's something external happening or do you think that those are some sort of manifestations of the mind i think yeah, there's, i'm there putting you on the spot don't mind. worry about it <laughs> no i think uh, it's manifestation of mind 
um, uh, you know, this is where psychedelics kind of come in, right? So when you're having a psychedelic experience, you're hallucinating things. Uh, but you're also seeing, uh, you know, this aspect of nature and this aspect of our world that is not accessible with our actual vision, right? Um, so yes, there's something happening and it could possibly be accessed via psychedelics that we can maybe, maybe the psychedelic experience in itself is, you know, the external physical environment, who knows, you know, um, yeah. it requires a lot of research. So, but I would still say that psychedelics are definitely a good tool to kind of exercise that thought. Yeah, that's interesting. Let me throw something at you and I want to see what you think about this. So you have different types of psychoactive compounds, right? You have uh, tryptamine-based compounds, which is more of the traditional psychedelics, uh, psilocybin, uh, DMT, all those. Uh, and then you have, in those play off your 5-HT2A serotonin receptors. And then you have um, tropanes, which tropanes uh, are kind of a completely different animal. Um, they're really not biologically safe in most cases uh, compared to like a tryptamine. Um, and they actually create true hallucinations uh if you want to go terence mckenna on it and this this idea that you're actually seeing things that aren't there where i would make the argument with tryptamines you are you are seeing things that are technically there like for instance if i were to eat um psilocybin and i'm looking at the wall or the carpet the carpet might start to flow okay but it's still the carpet it's still there as where tropanes you might actually see like a person that's there or something that's not actually there based on um, the way our brains work. So I guess what I'm, what I'm asking though is could the tryptamines be different in the sense that maybe it's allowing us to peek beyond the veil or maybe even like us of like on a quantum and this is going to get a little woo, but like from like a quantum physics standpoint maybe it's changing us as the observer in the sense that we can see more um, variable or like superpositions type stuff where things are not so defined um, and grounded in day-to-day -day reality where like I said like you're seeing things that are there there's something there but it's playing off of our what we already have our built-in uh, traditional pattern recognition and the tropane thing is different in the sense that you're actually seeing things that aren't there. I don't know if, does that make sense? Yeah. So let me deconstruct this. Um, so when it comes to actual psychedelic experience and us seeing entities with tryptamines, um, you know, you can say that these tryptamines, so these tryptamines give you hallucination of entities, right? right. And what well, it depends. I've read, I would, I would say, DMT though is kind of what you're more you're talking about. I've seen weird things on psilocybin entities and stuff like that, but it's far more rare uh, than like somebody having a breakthrough DMT experience. So um, I would I would just make that distinction there in terms of like psilocybin has always been more of a plane off of what's already there in your visual um, space. Yeah. So with with tryptamines, I, I haven't had a DMT experience yet, but from what I've read and for, from what people have told me, um, there are a lot of entities that people tend to see. So, you know, I could be, so I'm Indian, maybe I'm hallucinating some Aztec and Mayan entities, right? Um, like in one of my high dose uh, Lysergamine trip, like six, 600 micrograms, um, I remember 
for three hours I was going through those tunnels that people describe on DMT and Alex Gray art is kind of like does justice to that. Um, I, you know, it is, it is very interesting to see that these archetypal entities all around the globe, Aztec, Mayan um, entities, then there's Egyptian entities and there's Hindu entities. Um, all of all of this is encoded within our mind. And for some reason, they become like conscious as soon as we get into this tryptamine experience. Um, so yeah, to tryptamine experience, I would say manifestation of the mind rooted in collective unconscious by collective unconscious, which is a Jungian concept. Um, and yeah, those entities are, those entities definitely have some sort of an archetypal meaning. So mm -hmm. that's where the tryptamine aspect comes in. But with the propane one that you're talking about, you know, you can kind of like understand this propane one by understanding what a schizophrenic experience is like, right? Um, so a lot of schizophrenic people, and despite hearing sounds, they also tend to hallucinate people, right? Um, so if propane um, compound allows you to see things that are not there, people that are not there, then it can directly be correlated with schizophrenia, uh, that people are seeing, of course, what is not there. So maybe in order to understand what the propane experience is, we need to go into a deep inquiry into what schizophrenia is. Um, and I think it's also not, schizophrenia is also going to help us in help us understand psychedelics as well. I think there's definitely studies going on. Maybe studies have already been done, um, kind of comparing the schizophrenic experience with well, the psychedelic experience. Yeah, and to your point, there actually was some studies. I know, so what they did was, there was a hypothesis for a while that maybe DMT production in the brain or over DMT production in the brain could have been causing those, those, you know, situations. Uh, however, they've done lots of biological tests and they did a bunch of like urine samples and they weren't un they were unable to find any significant level of DMT that would maybe cause that to be the case. Um, one interesting theory about, so we we were doing a Twitter space and um, somebody jumped in and they had an interesting take on it. They 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 said that there's some research going on with um, schizophrenia possibly where, you know, so like we have our inner monologue or our homunculi or whatever you want to call it. Like we have this like inner theater thing happening. Um, and they're saying now that there's research going on that possibly – you, you know how you're talking to yourself you know you're yourself well maybe that voice is disconnected from that and it, you're you're being thrown off because you're hearing that voice but you're not recognizing that as yourself if that makes sense so this is with the schizophrenic patients right yeah so this is a, a hypothesis that's currently being studied right now that they're not able to recognize their own inner monologue and hence that they get confused and that it's 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 them, but it's not them, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. So, I mean, I haven't done <laughs> like uh, in-depth schizophrenia. I don't know a ton research, about it either. But... I have my own <laughs> mental health issues that I've dealt with in the past, but uh, I have spoken to some people, you know, that are dealing with this stuff and other mental health issues and stuff like that. So, but I just found that th that was interesting. Yeah. So imagine like if I'm schizophrenic for a second, right? Um, and I'm and I'm thinking about a lot of things, but then there's also voices telling me a lot of things. So of course I can like with from a prolonged period of time, you're having this uh, hearing voices experience. 
uh, of course, at some point you're going to get confused as to am I thinking this or is it the voice telling me, right? So it's completely possible the thing you're talking about. Um, and you know, there's different kinds of um, schizophrenia. There's uh, schizophrenia with negative symptoms. There's schizophrenia with positive symptoms. Um, so schizophrenics, uh, which are able to function in life, like properly function in life, like uh, you know, they can go around, teach, and write and stuff like that. They do not tend to uh, experience that to a higher level. Um, but uh, when it comes to catatonic schizophrenics, and uh, they're, they're unable to move. So they are completely gone case, unfortunately. Uh, but with schizophrenics who are able to experience uh, reality uh, to a certain extent that they are, you know, they're conscious, they can do work and everything. Um, I think something interesting is going on there. Uh, that if they are able to understand exactly how the world is constructed and how the world functions they are still able to detect that these other voices uh, that are coming to me are actually external one good example would be um, this mathematician called john nash uh, he was a schizophrenic uh, and he he was also a nobel prize winner um and there's that's actually the, really that's what the movie, movie. uh Be- beautiful mind is that what that yeah, yeah, yeah yes 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 so that that's a good example right like uh in the middle of the movie when you know the actual reality of john nash tries to come through that he's hallucinating a friend he's hallucinating a friend's daughter you know he's hallucinating working for the cia um you know slowly when he of course when he goes to the psychiatric hospital and you know he's been told that you have schizophrenia that's where you know the reality emerges and he's like okay so these people are actually not real but it takes him time to uh, kind of like push that back, right? So there's a very beautiful uh, moment in the beautiful mind at the end of the movie is that, you know, he is definitely seeing these entities where he's like, I see them, but I ignore them, you know? So something really, and and, and schizophrenia is such a, like, I wouldn't romanticize it, but, uh, and because it's a severe illness, of course, and a lot of people suffer through it, but I know for a fact, um, and it's known for a fact in history that there's a lot of artists, a lot of um, writers who go through bipolar disorder and schizophrenia, or even uh, schizoaffective disorder, uh, and they're very creative. Um, so, you know, of course, John Nash was a genius with, you know, creating, you know, all of those equations that he was creating. So again, you know, schizophrenia, um, you can take any illness and you can uh, take the pros and the cons of it. Uh, But if you focus on the pros of it, the cons really don't matter at the end of the day, right? If you have this kind of self-awareness that there are voices um, and, you know, there's something that I'm I'm thinking versus there's something that these voices are telling me. So yes, at some point they do get confused. I think that would be at the start of their uh, or the break of their schizophrenia when they start becoming schizophrenic or like when schizophrenic uh, schizophrenia arises. And slowly, slowly when, you know, with treatment, with medication, with therapy, they can distinguish both. Like, this is what I am thinking. This is what the other is telling me to do. Mm-hmm. So I, again, it's a struggle, but I think, you know, people can definitely come out of it. Interesting. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I can speak from my own mental health issues, like having severe OCD um, and it's, it was at one point it was very debilitating. It's like, this is crazy. You know, this is, <laughs> this is not going to end well. However, um, I was able to, obviously, I think everybody, if you're dealing with stuff, reach out and get help. Don't be p- too proud. You know, everybody needs help sometimes, you, you know, whether it's, 
psychiatrists, psychologists, you know, maybe some sort of ritual ceremony in South America, whatever it is, you know, you, you there's options out there. Uh, but from my own personal experiences now, I've learned to utilize my OCD in a positive way um, through, you know, the, you have these thought loops. So, you know, I tend to, instead of negative thoughts or, you know, these, these bad loops, I try and channel like, you know, thinking about philosophy or, um, you know, what's going on in my own head. I try and analyze it when it's happening sometimes, you know, and, and think about it like that. Uh, but, you know, I try and channel it into playing guitar and research and drawing pictures and art and stuff like that, too. So I, I do think that you can um, use those states as, as crappy as the cards you might have been dealt at different times. You know, you can use those in positive ways, to your point. So um, there is hope out there, you know. So, like I said, if you need help, reach out, get help. Um, there's a lot Even of tools. Even my out. experience with uh, mental disorders, so I have bipolar disorder, right? Um, and in bipolar disorder, you have two things, mania and depression. Um, and so when I'm in a hypomanic state, I have bipolar type 2. So there's like four kinds of uh, bipolar disorder, at least according to the DSM. The first one is type 1. The second one is type 2. Third one is uh, cyclothymic disorder. And the fourth one is un, uh, un, not specified bipolar. So it's basically somewhere in the spectrum, but not specified. Um, and in bipolar type 2, you have um, hypomania and depression. So hypomania is when you are experiencing uh, mania, but not that um, hardcore mania for four days to five days. Uh, and then you come back to either euthymic state, which is like being normal, or you crash into depression. Um, the best part about mania, again, I'm not trying to romanticize it, but there is definitely a best part of it, is which is high creativity. So when I'm in a hypomanic state and I'm staying up all night, I am producing probably the best written con uh, content I can. I remember back in 2020 when the pandemic broke out, um, this, this, that is where my uh, break actually started. That's the, that is the point where I started um, experiencing manic episodes and depressive episodes. I would finish eight assignments in one night and get grade A, straight up grade A. Wow. And I remember, yeah, so, you know, this, the mania comes with a lot of creativity um, and a lot of work because you're just... You want to do something, you know, and if you're if, if that's an urge, maybe use that urge to actually do something that you like and it's probably going to become so much better. However, the depression, you know, it's it's hardcore depression when it comes to type two. Um, but I've also recently, you know, uh, I'm recently trying to take that depression and put it onto poetry. Because when you're depressed, that's where the best uh, poetry comes out, at least, about heartbreaks and all, all sorts of stuff. So, you know, any kind of mental health, you know, if you're suffering, of course, go get help. Uh, but also try to, like, understand that, you know, you can you can do a 180 degree on it. You know, if it's disturbing you, you can just change it into, okay, I can make something out of this which is completely unique and which is going to benefit me and the society in front of me. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, interesting. Um, and actually, do you think though, like the creativity aspect of these mental health issues, do you think that comes from it being kind of an altered state of consciousness in itself? Like you are thinking outside of the box, not in like a way that you want to be, but it does put you in those mind states sometimes. Like, do you think that that's what's going on? Or do you think that it's you trying to cope with it in, in any way that you can? 
So it could be both, but it could be the former, uh, which is that, so a lot of studies that I've read about uh, personally bipolar disorder is that uh, they claim that there's something happening with your brain, uh, you know, some sort of neurotransmitters and uh, aren't there and stuff like that. There's something uh, wrong and not in a negative, like I don't want right. to shun down the, yeah, but there's something, uh, the wiring of the brain is very different goes for bipolar disorder, goes for schizophrenia. So it is maybe because of this wiring somehow that this creativity element is coming out, um, or it could be the latter that you were talking about. But yeah, I think I, the former one is the former is more likely. And I think you, you probably have seen the same paper that I saw that came out a couple of weeks ago about how now um, they're pretty sure that depression isn't caused by chemical imbalance. So that's been the narrative for, I mean, how long now? Uh, now they're coming out and saying that that's not the case. So I don't know if it's, we start from, uh, you know, ground zero or what the deal is here. But uh, I've been, I mean, I've been saying that for a while, you know, especially with my OCD. I don't think it's some sort of chemical imbalance. I, it's more of like a thought pattern, um, like a mind changes virus. Changes in thought pattern. Yeah, changes in pot, thought pattern and like hyper-focusing on these like mind loop things, these thought thought loops and getting stuck in them. Um, and yeah, so it's something more like for me, psychology has always helped me more than psychiatry. So, I mean, th that should say, uh, a lot right there. And I'm not saying that, you know, obviously some, for some people medicines work and that's great. You know, everybody should use whatever they can to, to deal with these things. But for me, it's always been about trying to understand my own mind and talking it out and uh, trying to reason with myself and things like that have been the most helpful. So, um, but let's pivot have a little. Have you tried exposure? Have you tried exposure? Yeah, so that's not helpful to me. Um, yeah. Oddly enough. Um, so, you know, there's different versions of like people think OCD is just about like being clean or you know, you're scared of germs or you like things being organized or whatever the case may be, but it can be all of those things. It can be other aspects. There's things, there's pure O, which is like just obsessive thoughts. You know, there's, um, you know, there's not, not no rituals associated with it. So like there's different things, kind of like you were talking about the different versions of like schizophrenia or bipolar or whatever. Same thing with OCD. There's very different versions of that. Um, and I'm late. Luckily I've been able to get this thing back to a nominal level where again i'm able to function where it kind of doesn't even really affect me on a day-to-day -day. you know there are certain days that are worse than others obviously i think that goes with any mental health issues but um but yeah there is hope out there like i said so you know under know thyself that's a good place to start know thyself um but let's pivot to um so <laughs> Well, yeah, we can go there if you want. I I had an interesting thought last night when these uh, somebody was hosting Daniel, uh, my buddy Daniel was hosting um, um, a space, and they were talking about you know UAP UFO stuff. But then they were talking a little bit about AI and stuff like that. And I was just thinking, like, what if whatever, let's say there are metaphysical beings or entities, whether they be extraterrestrial, interdimensional, and they're either observing with us or interacting with us or whatever the case may be uh, as a thought experiment. What if um, the way that we're trending towards technology and it seems like there's no going back, what if we're doing that for a reason? You know, and I know that you talked about like Marshall McLuhan and, you know, this idea of, 
you know, us giving rise or being the sex organs of the, you know, the next phase of evolution or AI or whatever. Um, I would say the, what if we're creating this AI um, as a tool to interact with these beings in the sense that like, maybe we can't do it with our current biological faculties or perceptions or senses and that there are, they're bringing us along in some way in which creating this technology and creating this AI will help facilitate that bridge, if that makes sense. So what is being in this context? Um, same being as us. So like not AI, like the beans would be like beans. Like people have, you know, uh, gray aliens abduct them or people see actual aliens and DMT experiences or people, um, you know, they have sleep paralysis and the shadow people come, you know, like, again, we could all reduce that down to byproduct of brain function, but maybe not. Right. So we don't know enough about what's going on with consciousness to make those declarations at this point. So I guess my question would be, maybe there's entities that are, you know, we know there's stuff in the sky that we can't explain. That's, that's a fact. Um, so maybe those things are trying to connect with us in some way. And maybe since we're, we don't have the tools currently, maybe that's what we're doing with AI is creating those tools to bridge that gap. You know, I think it was Bob Lazar who talked about um, <laughs> having some sort of a matter, uh, like some sort of a matter, which is not coming from earth that he discovered within whatever lab he was in. Yeah. Um, not <laughs> Element yeah, 115. It's, it's, Exactly. So, okay, maybe, yeah, with AI, so the, the explanation that I have with AI, right, is that we as humans um, are always progressing. We as humans are always making things to go forward. We first had the caveman with lighting the stones, then, of course, a few years later, maybe more than a few years later, we have now the lighter, right? Um, so everything is becoming progressive because we as humans want to make our life easier every single day. And that is what's happening with AI and everything, which is trying to make our lives as easy as possible. Like if, if you do think about something like a dystopic future, it would be that we, we are literally sitting on a chair and we don't have to do anything. It's just the importance like in so, so, you know, the door closes, opens, whatever food is here, you know? Um, so your question is interesting that whether we are making AI to um, understand what alien life is. Um, I guess I would say yes. I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Lee Cronin's uh, assembly theory and computation could be a part of understanding what alien life is. Um, so, you know, it's, it's the same thing as trying to understand what human condition is by using AI. So why are we trying to make AI? Like, why are we trying to de uh, duplicate whatever um, sentience is within the human condition onto the other, you know? Um, so that's the same thing that can happen with aliens, right? Like, um, we are trying to understand what human condition is, why I'm making what an artificial intelligent uh, entity is in relation to understanding what the entire world is and what lies beyond it. Um, and so that's very interesting that if, we are making some sort of a artificially intelligent agent. And this could be, honestly, this could be the super intelligence that Nick Bostrom talks about, because I think the general intelligence is basically our, the same intelligence that we have, and we're not able to 
currently try to understand what's out there. But if we have something like a super intelligent entity, maybe we can actually understand what's going out there. Maybe they are the first ones to contact or connect with the alien life. Um, so yeah, to, to, that's a good question. You know, the answer is yes. You know, like that's definitely a, a, an element of making AI, maybe a very unique one. And and the way I was looking at it and thinking about it is like maybe since we've become very tech savvy and conscious of like our understanding of this whole process and even the understanding of our own evolution, that maybe we understand even if it's subconsciously that we're not going to make any meaningful progress in our um, lifetimes in the sense that evolution takes so long uh, to select for and whatever it's going to do its thing, you know, that maybe we're conscious of that in our minds, we can evolve faster and we have done that. So right now our minds are ahead of our bodies. Okay. And maybe we know that and we know we're not going to be able to go any further. So maybe we use this AI as a tool to bridge that gap and maybe that'll help us catch up to where we want to be as opposed to where we're stuck at, if that makes sense. So interplanetary civilization. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, with the A with the AI stuff mixed with the alien stuff, I love the the hypothesis or theory of the von Neumann probe stuff, which is this exponential AI growth throughout the universe. If all it takes is one civilization to create self replicating AI and there you go. True, true. Um, I mean, so th this is why UFOs come in and become very interesting, right? Like, and, and there's like so much data heading, like so much data, like people are seeing uh, flying saucers, people are seeing like round objects uh, in the sky. And so this is where I would introduce Carl Jung, right? <laughs> Carl Jung in 1957 came out with a book on flying saucers. Um, and it was one of his last books, actually. Um, and, you know, the flying saucer is basically unidentified flying object UFO. Um, and his explanation was very psych psychic in nature, uh, something which we can understand right now, uh, you know, the psychic nature of it, which is that he, he understood UFOs by examining dreams, by examining art, by examining science fiction, uh, government reports, which are, you know, much more solid, media mm -hmm. stories. Uh, he analyzed all of this in order to understand exactly what's going on with UFOs. And, you know, he concluded that this UFO thing is basically a psychological interpretation of culture. Um, and it comes uh, out of some sort of a social anxiety. So, you know, you can say that um, this UFO thing is basically something which is embedded within our unconscious, uh, collective unconscious. Uh, and, you know, they come out because of the social anxieties and c cultural disturbances that's happening. At that time in 1957, when the book came out, um, you know, there was Cold War happening between USA and USSR. So the mankind was already in disturbance. So because of all of that social anxiety and cultural conflicts, maybe the collective unconscious is, um, you know, depicting all sorts of objects or all sorts of experiences which are alien to us. So that is what at least, you know, I, I feel like is a good psychic explanation to what UFOs or unidentified aerial phenomena is. We still have to find something materialistic, though, something which is objectively uh, 
objectively important to understand what alien life is or so, you know what so, ufos are so i've got a take on that with the whole carl young thing so like i like the idea that again this go- always goes back to our senses and our built-in pattern recognition but what if what we're seeing again is something that we can't fathom or perceive so we're seeing we're creating a symbol based on mythology right so we're creating this mythos of this thing these flying saucers or discs much like terence mckenna's machine elves you know like i think um the way he described them is not the way that most people experience them and that everybody's got like a little variation but it's kind of the same idea but it's almost infected the subconscious in a way that like people will now have these experiences based on these things so it's a question of you know what came first did this did these entities always manifest themselves in these experiences this way or by him saying that has that cemented something in our subconscious or conscious self where we you know there's there's it's being called the experience is being colored by that same way with the ufo thing where maybe there's a physical phenomena that we just can't perceive currently or we're just unaware of or have un you know we haven't observed it properly with scientific method or whatever the case may be um, and that we're assigning the symbol to this thing that that's not really what it looks like or, you know, is. It's just what we're assigning to it. So, I don't know. That's just my take on it. No, that's that's very plausible. Also, I feel like, you know, with with these UFOs and uh, mat, like matter which is alien in the sky, it's, we're not able to, we don't have tools to understand that. I think that's, that is bottom line the problem. Uh, if we had enough tools uh, in order to see, you know, what this thing is in the sky. I mean, in April of 2020, Pentagon uh, released those images, right? Uh, which is hilarious in the sense that, you know, at that time, the pandemic was going on. And so I feel like they purposefully released, uh, released it in April because everyone was focused on COVID um, and not a lot of attention got, uh, you know, not a lot of attention was drawn towards. Um, That's kind of been the case, though, image. too, because... Because they'll release all sorts of information, like, uh, and then, like, the media cycle will, like, turn over and then people won't talk about it or think about it again. And I think UFO Twitter's done a good job of keeping it public and keeping it in the mix, uh, for sure. But to your point, um, you know, all this stuff always gets, like, lost. So, and, and it makes you wonder do people even really care, too? Like, that's the other thing. Like, how much do the general public care about this topic of unexplained things navigating our skies you know you know with their own will so i I don't know i think it's 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 only because you know we as humans are always curious always curious and that's why we have the scientific method and you know we want to assess everything we want to know everything curiosity is a huge element in uh, the human psyche and just the human condition in, in general um but yeah, so like when we try to understand something which we cannot understand, which is a mystery, it becomes almost an obsession to some extent. Um, and an obsession which could be healthy, which could be unhealthy, depending on you know how into you are into the, these things. Um, and you know, like um, when I think about the other aspect of this, which is uh, you know what, and you were pointing, uh, pointing it pointing towards it, which is that, you know, how much do general population care about these phenomena? You know, I, I feel like at some point in, in, in future, they will have to care about what this thing is. 
because again, you know, our, our earth is so heavily populated and it's going to, you know, increase way more in the next few years, way more in the next 10 years. Um, and that's the point where people would be like, oh, you know, I think we need to have an interplanetary civilization. Um, you know, what's, uh, what's even mind boggling is that Aldous Huxley, uh, you know, back in 19 something, I cannot recall the last uh, two digits, uh, but uh, he gave a speech in Berkeley and he predicted so many things that are right today so many things are just correct um and one of it was definitely population increase which is going to be a huge problem it's going to consume all of the energy all of these resources on earth um and he's right see uh, after all those years we're, we're facing this global warming and climate change and overpopulation so yeah this human curiosity is is something that i would say only a section of people are thinking right now but when it comes to a crisis you know, people are going to go crazy and be like, okay, now we have to understand what this is and we need to kind of control it. Um, and, you know, there's a huge element of ignorance that people also have when it comes to, you know, kind of this curiosity that you can, you know, intermingle with. Uh, people who are um, not that comfortable, uh, like economically, they generally do not care about exactly, you know, all of this stuff. Um, but people who are, you know, well off, do have this, uh, you know, thinking that, okay, you know, this is a mystery that I could solve, this is something that I could do. Um, so, you know, and most of our population in the entire world is suffering through poverty, right? Like most people, at least, you know, I think it's good to say that 45 to 55% of our world is economically not good, uh, not well off. Um, and for them, it's all about survival as opposed to solving mysteries. So, you know, the, if, if we think about the assimilation of both um, both of these two groups, it's probably going to happen in in the next few years when everything becomes uh, everything becomes a crisis. Yeah, no, I I, I would agree with uh, a lot of that. What about how do people? So you went to school in Tel Aviv, so I want to know what do people in Tel Aviv think about the UAP UFO stuff? And then you live in India, and you're from India. What do people in India think about the UAP UFO stuff? And, and have you seen any similarities, differences, you know? So uh, I haven't talked to people about UFOs there, but I, there's this amazing book. Uh, I cannot recall the name, but it's related to Kabbalah, which is uh, mystical Judaism. Um, and it was about alien life. I still have to complete that book, but if we have a book like that, that means that uh, religiously speaking, Judaism tends to have this uh, aspect of alien life, right? Now this alien life could be a prophet, an alien life could be some sort of an angel, um, you know, again, connected to Christianity as well. And when it comes to India as well, um, within the Vedic traditions, we do have like these angels, which are alien in nature. So it, it's it's not something alien, alien, alien life isn't something which is new. Alien life has always been a question throughout the history of our time. Um, and yeah, that's your answer, I guess. Both, about... both, the, both the, the Tel Aviv and, and India, I feel like um, any, any religion, I would say, has, uh, some sort of an, has done some sort of an inquiry into alien life. And what about the the Viamanas? Like people always point to that as like from the Vedas, these flying machines of of the ancient Vedic cultures. Um, do you think that those are UFOs, or do you think that those are just 
because um, it does show these things flying in the air and like different versions of these things. Like, you know, how do people interpret those there? Is that like a UFO in your culture or is that something completely different? So if you were to think about it rationally, then yes, it's a UFO. If we were to think about mythologically, then it's uh, some sort of an angel coming down on Earth with some sort of a vehicle. And that vehicle is what you're talking about. Um, so, yeah, again, two, two different explanations, one religious one and the other one is more practical. Yeah, interesting. Um, is there something specific that, you, you know, because I know you're not fully into the UFO. You like it. And I know we've discussed it and you find it interesting. And obviously this plays into consciousness and the mind and metaphysics and everything. But is there one aspect of the UFO UAP thing that you find most interesting and um, that you're there's something that you're connecting it to that you're studying or anything like that? I think I'm very much interesting and uh, interested in what the biology of alien life would be. Is it the same thing? Do they have um, the same characteristic of our, our anatomy of human body? Um, do they have the same organs? Do, do they have vision? You know, how, like, what, just the biology and anatomy in nature is something that really fascinates me. Like, I want to know what's, what's going on there. Yeah, and you did that interview with uh, Sarah Walker, uh, which was great. And uh, both her and Lee Cronin are kind of looking at this thing from, uh, you know, they, they just put out that paper on assembly theory, and they're kind of just looking at this from, you know, unique scientific ways and interpretations and things like that. So I think we can all appreciate that. But if you like this topic, go check out uh, Sanjana's episode with Sarah Walker. It's really good. And she did one with Lex Friedman that I thought was really good as well. So um, what about like, do you think though, like alien life or extraterrestrial life, do you think that like they would have similar consciousness um, because of this physics that we know, or like, you know, our, our understanding of current physics, or do you think that there could be some other completely different form of consciousness that we wouldn't even recognize, even if it was right in front of our face? It could be both. So, of course, like comparing the human life to comparing an alien life, right? If we are conscious, that means that we're able to do a lot of things. Um, and in imagining like some sort of an alien coming down on Earth um, and trying to communicate with us, of course, it has to have some element of what we understand as consciousness. Um, you know, what is consciousness for them might be completely different via definite, like definite, you know, with definitions uh, than us, right? So, yes, I think they, they definitely have to be conscious if they're coming down and like trying to communicate with us. Um, but maybe their understanding of consciousness is completely different from, you know, what consciousness means to us. But maybe the functionality of it is to, to a certain extent the same. And, and you think about it, like even like our own like gut biome, we've got all these little bacterias and organisms. And if you've got whacked out gut bacteria, it could make you crave sugar and stuff like that. So if you think about it, even like there could be a, a micro alien invasion in which they could just influence your gut and, and have you, you know, like you look at like even in like the plant and insect world, you have like uh, cordyceps mushrooms the way they get ants and, and make them do their bidding for them and you see these worms that get into the mantis and control the mantis and then kills itself in the water you know and stuff like that so yeah I, I think about things like that too like we are kind of like 
the gods of this biome of ourselves and then we're still part of this external biome too like it's just a very bizarre uh reality <laughs> that we're part of so um in terms of uh what are you currently studying like what's your focus right now ben uh with like philosophy and philosophy of mind and stuff i think um kind of trying to understand hegel <laughs> uh something that i guess everyone does uh, like everyone from at least a german idealistic group does so i so i'm a very multidisciplinary person that's why i feel like i'm more of a cognitive science person and like one moment i might be studying german idealism the other moment i'm like literally uh studying you know like psychiatry what is happening with uh, schizoaffective disorder um then the other time i'm studying something else uh so it's not it's not like i'm always focused on one thing my mind is always racing uh towards all sorts of like different like different uh subjects and different interests and stuff like that so but you know particularly now i've been working you know uh with talk it which i told told you about um so you know nowadays i'm just like kind of concentrating on how to make application better you know how how to how to market better and how to like do things like that but again as i said like different different things firing up in my brain sometimes just sometimes it gets really crazy <laughs> so uh you know just a bunch of things yeah and actually so if anybody's listening that's interested go download this app it's called talk it uh, T-A-W-K-I-T. Um, it's going to be awesome. I've already kind of used it a little bit. I need to spend more time on it now that I've got my office set up and I've, I've just recently moved. Uh, but maybe we could do an episode with Uli and uh, get everybody on here and uh, discuss it. But go download this app if you're into like these more academic pursuits. It's kind of like, so you have these live podcasts and stuff that we do now. Well, this is a more this is a different focus in which somebody can like lay down a dialogue or a piece of something. And then other people can come in after and lay their response to that or their de debate or whatever you want to call it, uh, in response to whatever is being posted. And you can have like a back and forth thing. It's just really cool. It's a really good idea. Um, you know, Sanjana's, uh, associated with this as well. As I mentioned, uh, Uli and I believe his brother and, you know, uh, I've talked with them. They seem like really nice, really um, interesting people. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to using that app more. And, again, go go check out that app. Uh, if you like, again, these intellectual pursuits, I think it will be the perfect tool for people to go to. So. Um, Thank but, you for that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, look, a good idea is a good idea. And uh, I like what they're doing, and I think it's a great idea. And it's different. So, like, you have these platforms already where you can have these long form conversations live or structured or whatever but it's cool to have something where it's like not it's a debate but not in the moment you have time to think it out you have time to like process it you know like let's say you you go into a dialogue about consciousness and you bring up a lot of great points however i disagree with you on like four or five different points well then i can respond to you and say well what about this what about that what about this and then we can have a dialogue back and forth where we're thinking things out, then posting it and having these like reactionary kind of conversations. So I, I like that aspect of it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to developing that more and see exactly where we go with it. Absolutely. Um, so when you look at science, do you think that 
the problem with a lot of this stuff and people study neuroscience and things like that, do you think that there's too many people studying like mechanisms or the material side of it and not enough phenomenological study on it? Or do you think it's pretty balanced or where do you, what do you think the current state of that is? I think the former is true. I feel like a lot of people are more focused on the materialistic or me me mechanistic uh, aspect of it because, you know, science at the end of the day just looks at, you know, what is mechanistic, what can be rationally put. Um, and when it comes to phenomenology, I feel like it's more of a field for philosophers and psychologists and the humanities, basically. Um, and, 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 you know, I feel like with phenomenology, you can kind of tap into the uh, psychic aspect of, you know, whatever you're studying. And with, um, you know, the rationalistic or mechanistic uh, perspective, you're, you know, you're knocking on what's, uh, what's the hardware, right? So it's hardware versus software kind of a thing. Um, so yeah, I think it both, both are playing, uh, both are, you know, running and uh, the one who's winning the run right now is uh, the mechanistic way. Yeah, and I think that uh, another interesting thing to me is, so like even modern day philosophers, like the people that are considered like the top philosophers right now, um, they're very, very intertwined with like neuroscience. So like I think that from my my point of view, I think that that's a problem that there's just the top ones are just associated with that. We I think we need more metaphysical type thinkers or people focusing on metaphysics because I, I think that we're we're going to get stuck in, in this you know I think we already kind of are there at this like Thomas Kuhn bottleneck right now right we're stuck we have you know the science laid out we have physics we have quantum physics we have mind we have matter we cannot unit unify these things right now we are stuck in this bottleneck so now we're like okay let's think outside the, the box a little bit let's start researching psychedelics again let's start looking into ufos let's start you know looking into consciousness what's consciousness um and i think that we're on the precipice of something big here if we keep keep that up and i think that it's it's shocking that we still hold these again i mean i, I don't know specific names i think there's a, there's like an italian guy philosopher that's very materialist and dogmatic i forget his name pismucci or something like that i don't know um and then you have like uh, people like you, who's a very open-minded person who, you know, you you are open to the different interpretations, but you're not saying it's for sure this or for sure that. And I just wish that there was more of that, right? Like, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I just wish there was more open-minded people. And I think that we could make more of these like giant leaps in advancements if that was the case, as opposed to this like slow crawl of like picking this apart or picking that apart, you know? You know, Anisit is doing a brilliant job um, as to, you know, what we both like, which is open-mindedness. Um, you know, he and University of Sussex has an entire team of philosophers, psychologists, uh, physicists, biologists, everyone's just working on trying to understand what consciousness is. And I think that is the way to go. Like, um, you know, you can use some sort of a top-down reduction uh method in order to understand what consciousness is so you know what what is the physical what is what is physics saying what is biology saying what is philosophy saying what is psychology saying all comes down to one thing you know i feel like that might be a really good way to at least tap into what you know this consciousness is so yes open-mindedness is definitely like very important aspect of trying to understand what consciousness is
Yeah. And the other thing is, is, um, you know, I just, I look at like, again, like the main players in this thing right now. And I, again, I'll keep pointing this out because I feel like philosophy is kind of getting a bad rap, but I think it's getting a bad rap because it's not producing anything because it's not taking any chances. So like, um, you have uh, your, you know, I know Christopher Hitchens has passed away, but you have your Christopher Hitchens types, you know, your Richard Dawkins, uh, who else is in that pantheon? Dale Dennett, um, is it Dale Dennett or something Dennett? Something Daniel Dennett. Dennett. Daniel Dennett, there you go. Um, and I think Dale Dennett, I think that's from like the movie Ricky Bobby. I think that, that <laughs> I think, I don't even know where I got that. But yeah, Daniel Dennett. Um, and you have all these like reductionist thinkers. And again, I have no problem like with both sides, but I feel like when that one side is so connected to science as it is, like what's the point of philosophy? Because like scientists could do those people's job for them. They're not even really doing anything that different, right? Like neuroscientists could come to the same conclusions that Daniel Dennett can come to, right? That's just my point of view, but um, it's like, what's the point? So I, th- I think we need more outside the box thinking. I think we need more, you know, in some way to say, well, all oh, those people are on, on the path of truth or that's what they think is really happening or objective or whatever. I would say that that's not necessarily the case because it doesn't take into account any sort of weirdness or uh, mysteries of life or anything like that in fact it just kind of you know degrades them so i don't know just my point of view on that you know like two years ago i think this was 2018 um i had this idea which i don't think many people would uh, appreciate but you know both the esoteric and the exoteric are trying to prove the same thing right what is consciousness what are all of these dimensions right so when you take physics, there's 26 uh, bosonic dimensions, there's 11 dimension theory, there's 10 dimension theory, um, all trying to understand what are, what are the different planes of consciousness. And when it comes to esoteric uh, way, they also have seven planes. And the top one is this transcendental infinite uh, plane. And th- it's, it's the same thing with the uh, physics, like the 11 dimension is the same thing. I mean, Structurally, they are different, but they, the inherent meaning of it is the same thing. So both the, you know, both philosophy or mysticism and, and symbolicism and all of those things are trying to do the same thing, but in their own esoteric manner. And the exoteric people are trying to do science in relation to that um, in the same manner as well. So, you know, both of them trying to say, you know, everyone's just trying to understand what this really is. Um, but they all have different mechanisms for it. So yeah, you're correct. Yeah, I, mean, I just think that um, again. I mean, I just I like trying to balance things out, and I think it's very tough um, to do that because it's easy to fall in the trap of materialism or reductionism, right? Like it's easy to just say, well, you know, I uh, I don't know. I don't want to say it's easy because I know that those people studying that and coming to those conclusions are looking at a lot of stuff, but it is easy, right? Cause that's, that's where our perceptions go. That's where like we, we, in a day-to-day consciousness space, we can't, we don't see a lot of the weirdness and we don't experience a lot of the weirdness. And I know people do, but I think it's far more common within altered states of conscience, consciousness, right? So, um, again, to, to explain it away as if, oh, that's just a, 
you know, this process of the brain doing this, or, you know, when you're dreaming or going into hypnagogic state, you know, your mind's just doing this or doing that. Like it's easy to just explain it away as a process of the brain or a process of the, your biological function or whatever the case. I think it's a lot tougher to actually look at it and say, what's really going on here? How does this play into the nature of reality? And one thing we do know, and this is what these, these philosophers, these modern philosophers should be doing is trying to to pick up where science leaves off, meaning science is really good at explaining how things work, but they're not good at all at explaining why things work. And I think the argument would be maybe the why doesn't even matter or doesn't even exist or we've assigned uh, teleology or telos to the situation, but I would disagree with that completely, and I think that that does matter, and I think that that's what philosophy should be focused on currently. No, that's a good aspect. Um, how and why, what and why. Um, I feel like, so here's the thing that I truly believe in, which is that um, there, there are two variables, A and B, and, so, and they, are, they, are exchange, they are connecting somehow. So they, uh, A is trying to understand B, B is trying to understand A. And just by the virtue of that happening, we are actually understanding more of both both of the variables in itself. So maybe if we try to understand how things work and have some sort of a hypothesis on why things work, maybe we can understand why things work and how things work. You know, just by the virtue of their um, you know interaction. So that could happen. But you're correct. Like, uh, why is something that you know is metaphysical or something that is mysterious, and that's why maybe science tries to avoid that. And maybe they're hoping that by understanding how things work, that they can understand why things work. No, I mean, yeah, like I said, I get that. I just, I want more balance out there. And I just, I really think that um, with all the cool things that are going on in these, these fringe fields of study, it's still not mainstream. You know, again, we still don't have everybody really pondering the UFO UAP thing. We don't really have everybody considering psychedelic science and medicine as, as a real, you know, game changer. We don't have enough people really trying to figure out what consciousness is. Uh, we just have people droning out. And look, I get it. You work hard, you come home, you just want to chill. Or you work hard, you go out, you know, the weekend you want to go out and just take your mind off things. I get it. But I do think that... For me, it's like I can't go more than a day or two without pondering the nature of reality in life, uh, and uh, it's become <laughs> it's become like a ritualistic thing every single day for me. So, and that's why we do this podcast. Uh, yeah, po- podcasting is a good way of thought articulation, and specifically with things that we do not understand, because communication, for some reason, communication is this virtuous thing that tends to unlock a lot of a lot of amazing intellectual something that hasn't been tapped upon ideas it could be creativity it could be just information or flow so yeah i feel like there's huge there's a lot of virtue in the method of communication imagine like we both are sitting right now and we started talking and just by you know now i don't know how many hour, hour like one hour mark or something like that yeah we've it's about, we it's are, about about an hour and 20 minutes yeah so so at first we're trying to just like form some sort of a communication like we're, we're trying to like tap into the same thing and then slowly we both are in sync you know so right now you could say in a, in a mystical way we are we have transcended 
what communication really is or the uh, the aspect of communication like one of the aspect of communication is transcending communication in itself and that happens at the more you talk the more you engage with someone the more you're in sync with someone yeah no that's a great point um and you can feel it right i mean you do a podcast you can feel it. like maybe if somebody's new on the show or you haven't had really many interactions with them it might be a little slow or touch and go early on but then you start talking you start you know, feeling each other's vibes and pretty soon you guys are on the same wavelength and you're flowing and you're getting into that flow state of the conversation. And, um, you know, but the cool thing about you and the way, what I like interacting with you is like, I feel like I'm always in a flow state when we talk, like, I don't feel like there's that weird disconnect, you know, like, and, and I do feel that sometimes with some people, but you know, you just, I try and find that groove with everybody, but it's tougher with some people than others. No, I completely get it. Likewise. Uh, you know, like, on, personally, I have such hard time connecting with my friends here, like, of the same age group, uh, because all, you know, I'm not saying that these people are not, like, interested in a lot of things that I am in. It's just they do not exercise that. It's a lot of small talks and house parties and stuff like that. I'm always that person who's, like, sitting in the corner, just like, okay, well, what can I think about today? You know, because these people, I don't want to interact with them. Like, yeah, I'm having vodka. Like, okay, next is whiskey. But, you know, hey, like, I want to have some deep, meaningful conversation with you. Like, you know, tell me what you think about the universe. And they're like, nah, like someone has broke up or like some drama is going on. So I'm always that person sitting in the corner, you know, thinking about a lot of things, uh, you know, and, and just as soon as I feel like it's been one hour, I'm out, <laughs> you know, and like, hey, I had a good time and I'm out. I have really hard time connecting with my friends here. I feel like I'm always in sync with people who are, um, you know, in their late 20s, 30s and 40s. I feel like that's where I can like kind of level up and, and these people will not bore me out. Um, so, yeah, I, I struggle with I, I struggle with loneliness. Uh, I would say in that in that way, especially with within my own generation, with within my own friend group. But now I've kind of uh, converted that loneliness into solitude, which has been very transcendental. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And um, I felt like that when I was a little bit younger too. I always felt like I had a little bit more to say or would like to hypothesize and have these interesting conversations. And I couldn't really get other people to, you know, my cousin and I, my co-host Maurice. We've always had those conversations. We've always been close. We can talk about whatever we want with each other, and it's always interesting. Uh, but I never had that with a lot of people, to kind of to your point. And I'd be at a party too, and you know, whether I was on doing like a psychedelic that weekend or whatever, I always felt like I wanted to. I didn't like all like the the party, the drama, you know, all the stuff you mentioned, you know, it just wasn't my, my thing. I didn't realize that till I was older, um, that, you know, maybe I should have been exercising kind of what you're doing uh, a little bit. Uh, but I see you kind of as like an older soul too, you know, like, I don't know how old you are, but, uh, you know, 22. okay. Yeah. You feel like you're in your early to mid thirties to me based on talking to you. So like, you're very mature and you're very, well-read, well-spoken. You understand a lot of philosophical concepts that most young people don't understand. So, um, yeah, uh, it's totally interesting. Totally stupid. No, <laughs> I, I, I honestly think that it would be interesting to see where you're at in 15, 20 years because I really think that, you you know, you could be way ahead of the game. You already are, so. Let's see. I, I, 
Yes. I'm, I'm not trying to bolster. I'm, I'm just being honest. Like, I, I honestly feel like, like I said, I don't know any 22 year olds. Um, even when I was 22 and I was interested in this stuff, I didn't have the kind of um, focus and mind and, and interest that you do. So keep doing it. I think that it'll definitely lead you uh, somewhere amazing. Um, but like, let's, let's wrap it up here. I do want to do a Patreon segment with you. Um, and, uh, again, if you, anybody's interested, uh, Sanjana has an amazing podcast. It's called, um, it's called the naked dialogue. And I've been on there before. Uh, we had a great conversation when I was on there, but she has amazing guests, you know, all scientific stuff, philosophy, philosophical guests, you know, it's all that kind of realm of, of, uh, academia. So go check that out. I have the links down below. Follow her on Twitter. I also have those links down below. She's an amazing follow on Twitter as well. Uh, tons of positive messages, philosophical quotes, different takes on AI and stuff. She's a really good follow, so follow her. Um, and yeah, you know, her and I might do some sort of Twitter spaces in the future as well. I know um, we were talking about that as well. And also go check out Talk It. She's on Talk It. I'm on Talk It. Go to uh, your app store and download Talk It. T A W K I T. And uh, yeah, come come join the academic pursuit. Um, let's see here. Uh, and also, if you're interested and you want to hear our Patreon segment that we do when I post it, either later or tomorrow, um, just click on the link tree link down below. Uh, for just two dollars a month, you'll get exclusive access to stuff, um, including our exclusive episodes. We also have a merch store on there. Um, yeah, and if you want to support the show, a good way to do it is just leaving us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So, And if somebody's listening on an audio platform or watching on YouTube, we are now streaming this to Twitter. So if you use Twitter, our episodes will now be on Twitter, being live stream on there. Um, they might not be on there if it's an episode that we pre-record, but that's rare that we do that. So most of them will be live streamed. So I just want to throw that out there. And again, we also have video podcasts on Spotify if anybody uses Spotify. So, uh, but yeah, listen, Sanjana, thank you so much. Uh, you are amazing. And I look forward to uh, seeing how Maurice uh, edits your contributions to our documentary because I, I saw uh, I, I watched your contributions and I really liked the things that you had to say so I think it's going to be a great documentary and it's going to have a lot of interesting takes on a topic that's very very um, you know current prevalent and interesting if you like these topics so um, and that's it I just want to say thank you and uh, listen we love everybody stay safe out there and uh, we'll catch you next time Peace. Peace.